Hello and welcome to the Deeper Eye podcast. I am Lara Ferris, your host. For many years, I have been passionate about self-improvement. Through this, I have met the best specialists in their field who have given me tools and the courage to pursue a new path. The purpose of this podcast is to share with you everything I have learned through the conversations I have had with these amazing people. I hope these conversations will impact your life as they did to mine. I am delighted to be starting a new series of episodes with Andrew Wallace. To recap for those who have not listened to any episode before and if it is still necessary to present Andrew for those who don't know him, Andrew Wallace has guided so many businesses and companies, both large and small, and he helps them to fulfill more of their full potential. Andrew is a very successful businessman who has decided to focus a little bit more on the inner world. The inner world is going deeper into discovering who we truly are. And in his self discovery of doing the self-work, he started helping so many people and so many businesses. He began his career in the 70s in the financial services, and then he grew his business so much, but then he realized there was so much work to do in the, you know, inner world of of people, not just himself, but of people. So he left the city at the peak of his career and he started working on the spiritual awakening. And this is what he does to help others awaken as well. So we are doing this series because Andrew and I have always spoken about what is it we would love to leave this world with knowing that our children would benefit from. Many, many people are just worried about leaving enough money for their children, uh, leaving the right amount of education, and of course the legacy of what we've done and then what the children will take on. But what are we really teaching our children? This is what we are going to go deeper with Andrew I hope you will really enjoy and find these episodes very useful. And please feel free to share them if you like them with as many people as you know would benefit from um, these conversations. Andrew, hello, and thank you again for agreeing to do this series with me. I'm really excited about this one, and I love the title. Um, we gave it, what do we want our children to know? It's particularly important for me, this series, because I think whether we're parents or not, we have a big responsibility in what do we leave to the next generation? What are we teaching them? What kind of world are we leaving for them? What's uh, the legacy we're leaving? And I particularly thought about this series because at the moment I'm realizing that 
I've been doing this inner work with you for over six, seven years. It initially started by me thinking that it was such a luxury for me to do something. It was nearly like it was a hobby. And things have happened to me in the last six years. And I'm finally realizing that this investment I have done is the absolute most precious and best one I have done in my life. And nothing is more precious or more helpful than what all these hours of learning and uh, practicing and suffering sometime and sometime being ecstatic of what I've discovered and learned. It is the only thing that I have today that is keeping me grounded um, you know, authentic, true to myself. And I was really very, very keen on leaving whatever I could to my children and every child that is out there and to every parent, every adult that is keen on doing the same as I have been doing. We decided to do this in few episodes. The first one, we are calling it the inner and the outer world because I've heard you talk about this subject for years and years and it always comes back into our session. So I was wondering if you could explain in your own words to the children and parents and adults that are listening, what is the inner and the outer world and why is it so important? Wow. Well, thank you, Lara. It's it's always a joy to spend time with you. And like like you, I'm excited about this exploration because um, it's funny. As you were talking, I was thinking uh, there's a lot in the newspapers at the moment and a lot of people talk about inheritance and leaving their wealth to their children, yeah. inheritance tax and all those sorts of things. Yeah. And there's great emphasis. There's thousands and thousands of hours spent on planning uh, inheritance for our children in, in financial terms, etc. Yeah. And what we're really exploring together today is, is far more precious, far more valuable than any of that, which is, is our inheritance that our children receive from us in terms of understanding the world and understanding themselves. Who are we mm. in the world? And um, we start with this uh, relationship between what I call the inner world and the outer world. And that sounds like a very sort of esoteric or hard to understand concept. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason for that is we are dominated uh, in our lives, in our families, in our education, in our workplaces. We're dominated by the outer world. We all interact with each other as if the outer world is dominant, the outer world is real, um, and that's what we focus on. So we, the outer world consists of cars and offices and bodies and cafes and restaurants and it, it's everything that exists mm. in the manifest world yeah. and what we mean by the inner world is is it, the inner world is sort of unseen the outer world is seen 
the inner world is unseen. And there's various uh, portals, various ways into this discussion. And one way is to simply observe that philosophers and uh, psychologists and theologians have for thousands, five, six thousand years, been talking about the relationship between the mind and the body, mm. mind and body. And, and they've never, ever landed on an agreement or reached uh, an understanding of what that relationship is. And if I was to ask you, Lara, have you ever seen a mind? No. 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 You see, none of us have seen a mind. Mm. And, and how do we know a mind exists? And a mind is something that I think most people would agree, if it exists, is, is somehow inside our body or somehow it's not on the outside of our body. Yeah. And so, you know, we all operate in this world on the understanding that we have thoughts and, and what is the relationship between a mind and a brain. We, we, we know that we have a brain and that is the physical manifestation. Um, so that's one way into it. Another way would simply be to talk about things like intuition. Uh, intuition or gut instinct is, is an inner experience. And again, I could ask you, have you ever seen a, a gut instinct or have you seen an intuition? You've experienced them mm. and you've seen the, the, the fruits of an intuition or the the product of an intuition, but you've never really seen an intuition or um, a, a gut instinct. Yeah. And so this begins to open the door to a conversation or an exploration between these two very different worlds, the outer world, which we can all see and talk about, and the inner world, which is much more difficult to talk about because we can't see it in the same way you know have you ever seen love do you you know can you pick up love can you put it in a box can you put it you, you can't you can see the the fruits of love or you can see the the consequences of love but nobody has ever seen love does that make sense yes yes totally makes sense so for me when i think about you know, what do I want to teach my children or what are the top five things that I would most like my children to learn to help them be in the world in a different way? Understanding this relationship between these two aspects would be number one. It would be in my top three of what I would like them to understand. And the reason being is that our, our current understanding in our society and in, in most societies, but importantly, not all societies, it is we just operate as if the outer world was dominant and somehow the outer world was more real. You know, the, the, the world of desks and chairs and houses is somehow more real. And it's than, taken more seriously. That's and the, it's taken yeah. more seriously. Exactly. Yeah. And if you look at the lives of most people, their world is taken up, is, is they're swallowed up by the outer world, the world of, of jobs. And, you know, we talk about people being on the treadmill. We, we, we spend an yeah. inordinate amount of time 
you know, working for companies that may or may not treat us with love and mm. respect. So there's an imbalance. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. And uh, how do you make, I mean, I, I'm sure you're going to cover this, but just how do you make our children trust that inner world more than what we grew up as being allowed to trust it? Yeah, it, it's a great question. And it, children learn through the environment. So mm. they come into an environment where in the UK, for example, or Western Europe or North America, from a very early age, we, we put them in schools and we bombard them with information. We feed them data and then we test them to see how much of that data they remember. Yeah. And all of the facts that we learn are about the outer world. Mm. And so there's um, no surprise that if we grow up in one of those cultures, then we become like our parents and like our family around us. We become indoctrinated by the outer world. But there are cultures, for example, the, the yogis in Southeast Asia or, or the aboriginals in Australia or the uh, Hopis in, in Latin America. There are cultures that are indoctrinated in a very different way. They learn to trust their intuition. They learn to trust their gut instinct. They discuss their dreams every morning mm. as a family or as a tribe. It's a very different way of being. Yeah. And so the answer is one of the things that we know is that children actually understand and trust their inner experience far more than adults. They, they understand intuition. They understand uh, what's happening on the inside mm -hmm. in exactly the same way that most other species, you know, human beings are one of tens of thousands of species on the planet, mm -hmm. that most other species trust their inner experience far more than human beings do and that's what keeps them alive yeah that's because also they they don't have um i don't know how to call it but this ability to uh, to have a choice you know to take a decision have a choice i think uh, they just have this instinct to follow exactly then they're, they're not the way some people explain it is they're not conscious of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So they're not having a thinking process in the mind. Mm. They're just being. Yeah. So that's what we mean by the inner and outer world. And, and the second stage of this, mm. which is equally dif difficult for people to engage with, is that the... Reality for me and for many other people through the centuries, and many teachers have tried to explain this to us over the millennia, is that the outer world is in fact a reflection of the inner world. The outer world is secondary, the inner world is primary, and the outer world is actually created by the inner world. Mm. And, and that's quite a radical idea. Yeah. Yeah, I love that um, reminder that you gave because if our children could realize early enough that they create their outer world from how their 
feeling and um, uh, seeing themselves as, it would save them a lot of time. Would you agree? It it took me many, many decades to learn that. And I agree with you. And me too. And, you know, just to ground this in uh, science um, for a moment, all scientists would pretty much agree that what we call reality, the outer world, is mediated through a filter and a projector. So all human beings, we, if there's 10 of us witnessing the same event, we see something different. And the reason we see something different is that we all experience that event through a filter which is the uh, aggregation of all of our life experience, our ancestral past, et cetera, et cetera. So somebody who has grown up in England would experience something uh, differently to someone who's grown up in the Lebanon Mm -hmm. or in India or in North Korea because our filter for that experience uh, is very different. And, you know, we, we know that in exactly the same way that we have within us, within our inner world, there is a projector that projects out onto every event or experience in our life. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so for example, just very simply, if as a child I was rejected a lot or if as a child I experienced a very painful abandonment, I tend to go through my entire life, decade after decade, experiencing situations as rejection or abandonment. So for some people, rejection is a big thing. For other people, it's not. Yeah. And we know this is very self-evident that whatever our particular background is or our trauma experience, whatever, that's how we experience reality. Yeah. And it's different for each of us. Mm -hmm. And and so this is very, very ordinary common sense for people. However, we don't seem to um, live our lives in such a way that we give sufficient import or uh, cognizance of this particular aspect. Do you think it's because uh, very few people uh, practice that and uh, believe in, in in it or have been told it? Maybe with do you feel now we're entering a period of time where this is going to be much more common? I do. To, yeah. I I think that there's I call it actually a biological evolutionary shift. Mm-hmm. So I think that as a species, mm-hmm. and we, we live in very, very different cultures, but as a species, we're, we're going to move into a way of being where we do understand this yeah. in a much better way. Mm-hmm. And one of the examples you've heard me give before, and you know, this is a slightly radical way of experiencing it, but it's rather like we're sitting in a cinema and we're watching a film, maybe it's Titanic or something, and we get to a part that we don't like and we jump out of our seats and we rush up to the screen and we start trying to move the people around or changing what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And if we did that five or six times, you know, they'd call the medics and they they would very calmly remove us from the cinema 
and they would take us to hospital. Mm-hmm. But but for me, that is exactly how most people are living their lives all the time. They're trying to change the outer world. Mm-hmm. Whereas if instead of doing that, we got off out of our seat and we went up to the projector room and we took the film out of the projector and we put a different film in, mm-hmm. we would get a completely different image on yeah. the screen. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we're talking about. So when you and I talk about doing the inner work we're talking about changing the intention or changing the stuff behind the projector so that we change a different reality outside yeah does that make sense it makes sense and i would like to ask you if i'm because that's his personal uh, experience and I'm, i just would like your validation to see if this is true for a lot of people To reach that stage, you absolutely need to work on your self-love, loving yourself, uh, feeling that you are deserving, you are powerful enough, deserving enough, you have enough confidence in you to be able to take that decision to go and change this movie, to, to see a projection of something different. Because I know you're going to cover this in other episodes, but uh, most of us come with a certain belief that there is no way I can or I deserve to be living something different. And I was wondering if you could say if this is just personal or in general, you need few traits of your personality to have this courage. I would agree 100%, Lara, that I think... Again, you're talking about something called self-love. Have you ever seen self-love? It's like, you know, it's something that is an inner experience. Self-love is an inner experience. And we see the consequences or the effects of that, Mm. but we never see the thing itself. Yeah. And slightly more basic than that, what we're really talking about here is if you've grown up, and you you grew up in Iran and you speak Iranian and you've never traveled abroad, how can you learn another language? If someone speaks English, you have no idea what they're saying. Mm. And you may or may not have a desire to learn to speak English. But but some people are saying, no, no, I I know this language, I'm comfortable with it, everyone understands me. Mm. It's it's exactly the same with what we're talking about here. The language is the language of the outer world and everyone's comfortable with that. Mm. So it it takes quite a shift. And and one of the things I've said in the past, I, I sometimes refer this to a Copernican shift because... You know, at one time in our world, the, the most intelligent and highly regarded and highly trained individuals told us all that the sun goes around the earth. And that was a given. And, and, and some guy came along and questioned that. And they ridiculed him and they called him mad and they, um, you know, bullied him. And he was called Copernicus, and then Galileo came after him. But it took at least 150 years Mm -hmm. for the most intelligent, the most educated people to open their minds wide enough to accept another way of being in the world. And now we take that as given, that the, the Earth actually goes around the sun. 
Is this also why very often when I was in either one of your courses or in the course room or in private sessions, every time I felt there was a shift in something that came to my understanding and what you're teaching, it was like I knew it before, but I had totally forgotten it. That's yeah. the magic of this, um, uh, for me anyway, this is very personal. Uh, the magic of this journey is that everything you taught me or other uh, teachers or, you know, person I've been doing work with, it's like, I, oh my God, of course, I, I know that. And uh, I, I don't know why I never applied it or practiced it, but it felt like I knew it. Yes. And I think this issue of the inner and outer world really draws us in to the question, who are we as human beings? What, yeah. what is the nature of a human being? What is the nature of being in this world? And there was a, a Jesuit priest called Taya de Chardin, who was a scientist, actually. He was very, very developed in the science of the day. And he said, you know, we have to decide whether we're spiritual beings having a human experience or whether we're human beings having a spiritual experience. And that's another way, really, of you could say that a spiritual being is unseen, a human being is very seen. It's the difference between the inner and outer yes, again. Yes. And one of the ways that I have always approached this. I, I always say to the horror of my father-in-law, who's a revered scientist, I say that uh, everything I talk about, it, it draws in equal measure from science and from mysticism. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I think those two things are interesting to study, as I have studied them, is that both science and particularly physics and mysticism or spirituality is asking the same question. They're both preoccupied with what is the nature of reality? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. What is the nature of reality? Uh -huh. And if you take physics, you know, physics started out and developed into Newtonian physics, which still underpins the whole of scientific inquiry. And eventually there was a limitation with Newtonian physics in that uh, it couldn't describe or explain the atom. Physics kept reducing everything down to the atom and they thought when they found the atom, they had the ultimate nature of the building blocks of the universe. And, and then a whole new language and theory was developed to talk about subatomic particles, electrons, protons, etc. And that gave birth to quantum mechanics. And quantum mechanics was around for I don't know how long, but eventually quantum mechanics discovered that atoms and particles function in a radically different way to everyday objects. And eventually quantum mechanics was not compatible with Einstein's theory of relativity. So we developed into something called quantum field theory. And then quantum field theory itself had limitations, and that developed into something called superstring yeah. theory. So yeah. now we have at the center of physics or science uh, competing superstring theories. But what they've discovered time and time again is the nature of reality 
is not what it, they thought it was. And it led one scientist to say mm -hmm. that at the end of all our exploring, what we discovered is the material world isn't actually material. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we sit in front of a table and we bang our fists on the table. But what scientists tell us is this is a load of electrons and protons whirling around at incredible speed. It, we just experience it as solid. Mm. Whereas if we move our hand through the air, then again, it's, it's, we don't really experience the solidity of air. There's a different yeah. frequency. And what superstring theorists are telling us is that underneath the material world, there is this mass of uh, non-existence. There is this vortex yeah. of energy or vibration or frequency that is non-material. And in exactly the same way, mysticism has been in, uh, exploring through inner inquiry, through the inner world, what is the nature of reality? What is the nature of human beings? And, you know, mystics from virtually every tradition, whether it's Judaism or Christianity or Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism, that they all arrive at the same thing that there's this vast open space where everything is connected, everything is one. Yeah. And scientists or physicists are coming to the same conclusion. And what I think is interesting for us in terms of the relationship between the inner and the outer is that, again, science tells us that more than 98% of everything that exists is space, is nothingness. Yeah. And that the manifest world, the world that we rely on, the world that we give so much importance to, is less than 2%. So planet Earth and, you know, all the different countries and the houses and the the boundaries we've created and the offices, Apple and Amazon and Shell and IBM, all these things, yeah. that is all less than 2%. Mm. And the 98%, it is the unmanifest world of superstring theory or mysticism or whatever we want to call it. It's the inner world mm. and everything that exists in the outer world, everything, including you and me, has come from that place of non-existence. So that's why I say that the outer world is a reflection of the inner world, because at one time, that didn't exist. If you take a simple, the most valuable company in the world is Apple. Yeah. And, and at one point in our lifetimes, Apple didn't exist. And someone had an inner experience, an intention, one or more people, and they said, let's create this company, and they didn't know what to call it, but the company was created, and then the inner experience has created that outer reality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that that is the same for everything that exists. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's really, I mean, fascinating when you touch into that, that uh, we're only exploring 2%. I mean, can you imagine, like, 2% of what is... And yet, there is so much in emphasis and importance on these 2% that we tend to live daily, every day, just focusing, 
you know, on what we can see, touch, and be seen as. And I think, you know, maybe my wish for the future is is a balance, is an equal balance, like people to start acknowledging equally their feeling that schools, if a child comes and say, I don't know, I, I just feel... I don't want to uh, play this game or I don't feel comfortable doing this, that they're taken a bit more uh, seriously. Uh, Because that's also part of growing self-confidence. Because if you tell a child that your opinion matter, I hear you, your opinion matter, this child is going to grow up differently to this child who is going to be told all his life what he must and mustn't do. Well... I agree with you. I don't know about you, but when I went to school, I was never taught any of this stuff. And my children, who are much younger than me, Mm. when they went to school, they were never taught any of this stuff. So it starts in our families and then it expands into our schools and it expands into our religions and into our workplace. Yes. And, you know, another way of talking about this, a, a, a lot of people in my world and your world, talk about consciousness or pure consciousness. Mm. And, you know, that, I always find it a slightly confusing term because if someone is hit by a car or hit by a bus and they're lying in the street, we say, are they conscious? Yeah. Meaning, you know, is their mind working or is there? So we talk about consciousness as something that is, 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 um, are they awake? You know, yeah. when we're asleep, we're yeah. not conscious. Um, but in a different way, there is um, and has been for some while, many people talk about consciousness as an expression of this inner world, that it, the inner world is pure consciousness. And from that place, we manifest the outer world. And yeah. again, what I think most people would accept in that thing of consciousness, consciousness in the original sense could be seen as ego, mm-hmm. that, that ego is our identity. It's, it's who, we, who we're conscious of. And we talked earlier about human beings as a species being conscious of themselves in a way that anim- animals are mm-hmm. not. So human beings have an ego, a giraffe or a, a field mouse does not. Yeah. And in the consciousness, the ego is what has learned all these things. And the main function of the ego is survival, self-survival. So the ego is at all times wanting to survive. Yeah. And one of the ways that it operates is through fear. Mm-hmm. And so the more fear you can create, the stronger the ego. Whereas consciousness and the way that we talk about our inner world as pure consciousness is really this incredibly expansive reality without boundaries. It functions through love. And I think we're going to talk about love in in one of the later sessions. But but consciousness is something from which everything is created. And... That sorry, that it just brings something that I'm. Uh, I don't want to forget asking you, and you might decide to answer it in a different episode. But when we say our outer world is a reflection of our inner world, 
And then we tell these children, these people listening to us that we create this outer world from our consciousness. Yes. On, from, and can you just talk a bit, a bit about uh, this subconscious, this part of us that is not conscious and that's very often is really what is leading and driving in our life and creating the outer world because we can be conscious of wanting something and yet create something very different. Yes. So I think that there's one other thing, but just before we get to that, which mm. is that, you know, another way into this whole subject is that the body is in the outer world. We, we, we are in a body. Oh, yeah. as, as it's been said before, we are somebody. Uh, yes. You know, we, <laughs> yeah. And the the mind or consciousness, which is not observable, mm-hmm. is the unseen, we could call it consciousness or mind or anything, mm-hmm. which affects the body. Now, what, what a lot of different people from very different traditions have been saying to us for, for decades or hundreds of years is, is every thought mm-hmm. affects the body. Yeah. So, you know... As somebody once said, you know, we have the most sophisticated, most evolved chemist available to us 24-7. Yeah. And the chemist is the pituitary gland. It's a tiny little gland in our brain. Yeah. And this is the control center for, for many, many processes in the body, and in particularly for our endocrine system or our hormones Mm -hmm. so this uh, small gland will send signals to our body and will create fear or anger or love or joy or whatever it is that is created and that is happening in the outer world but it started in the inner world with a thought or with a, a conscious uh thought now what you're talking about is a step beyond that which is some of those inner experiences are conscious Mm -hmm. and some of them are unconscious which means we're aware of them so when we're asleep yeah there's a lot of things going on in our inner world many of us have dreams some of us remember our dreams some of us don't But, but there's many different processes going on which are unseen and part of our inner world. And um, those processes are having an effect on the outer world. They're having an effect on our body. They're having an effect on our mood. Yes. And, and they're affecting us very considerably. So that's an example of an unconscious process. We're not aware of it. And as you say, going beyond that, many times in our lives, we have the experience that consciously mm-hmm. we think that we want to lose weight, whereas mm-hmm. unconsciously we make sure that we remain substantially overweight. Yeah. Consciously, we might want to stop drinking alcohol, whereas unconsciously we make sure that we continue drinking too much alcohol and so on. We've, we've all had that experience. Mm-hmm. And so a, a lot of what you and I do in our lives day to day and what you've been doing for the last six or seven years mm-hmm. 
is when we talk about doing the inner work, yeah. and that's always a slightly odd expression, I think, yeah. but what we mean by that is really making the unconscious conscious. Yes. Making the unconscious conscious. Yeah. Because if we can bring into awareness what is outside of awareness, mm-hmm. then we make it less powerful. You know, the, the early Greek philosophers in 500 BC, they had um, uh, the uh, Delphi oracle that they used to visit. And as many people know, there was a big archway. And over the archway, they had this profound saying, which is know yourself, know yeah, yourself. Yeah. The best way to enlightenment, the best way to awakening it is to know yourself better, is to be more aware. Uh, and that's why uh, you and I, we spend a lot of time talking about bringing awareness yeah. to the actual inexperience. We might say, well, we're trying to be terribly nice. To, you know, I might meet this woman called Lo and I might be being terribly nice to her, but actually by bringing awareness to the inexperience, I might be very threatened by you. I might be mm-hmm. very angry with you. I might be very envious of you. Mm-hmm. You know, a very powerful inner experience is the experience of envy. And I don't think envy is very well understood. There was a, a British psychoanalyst called Melanie Klein that wrote extensively about envy and she's almost impossible to read Mm. but there is a a follower of hers called Hannah Siegel S-E-G-A-L and she writes about envy Mm -hmm. and unconscious envy does a lot of destruction in the world and there was somebody recently a guy called Charlie Munger who's a a businessman he's in his 90s but he said what, what you know the world is not run by greed he was talking about the financial yeah. system, but the world is not run by greed. The world is run by envy. Which leads to greed, I guess. Uh, yeah, but it's it, a lot of that envy is unconscious. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me a lot of something you, you say very often, that uh, the most difficult thing to live is not the experience that comes to you itself, but it's the rejection of that experience. I'm sure you you can say it in much better way. But so basically what we keep fighting in our life is not so much what's happening to us, but it's us not wanting it to happen. Exactly. Okay. So the same way here I'm feeling maybe, because once you accept that it's happening, it has much less effect in your life, much less power. A bit the same as when this unconscious thing that other people would call shadow as well, if I'm not mistaken. So if you put the light on your shadow, there isn't such a like a fierce way of wanting to hide it anymore. It's just out there and it has less impact on you. Would you say that's correct? 100% correct. And I, I think what's interesting, this brings us full circle to where we began in terms of the relationship between the inner and the outer. Because just to make this really simple again, is, you know, everyone listening to this and, and you and I, we know what it is like to feel rejected. We know what it is like to feel excluded. Yeah. And it's a very painful experience. But, but, If we are anchored in the outer world, then 
if somebody looks at us the wrong way or if somebody says something to us that is hurtful, we, we often have that devastating experience which, which literally brings us to our knees. You know, we feel like we're wiped out. There's all sorts of expressions. Mm-hmm. And if we live our, our life being anchored in the outer world, then we are constantly at the vulnerability of what people are saying or not saying, doing or not doing. And we've all had that experience, whether we're, you know, in a, in a relationship, an intimate relationship or with our children or our co-workers or whatever. Yeah. And so, but however, what you and I have also had the experience of is many times in my life, I've had somebody say to me something which is deliberately designed to upset me or hurt me or, you know, and I can smile inside. It doesn't affect me at all. And there are other areas where I will be affected, but but increasingly there are many areas where things don't affect me. Yeah. And that's because I'm anchored in the inner world. So mm. if you're anchored in the inner world, then you're not, you know, I, I use the expression of cork bobbing in the ocean. You're, you're not subjected to every whim of the outer world yeah. like most people are. You know, we know how many times someone will say, he disrespected me. She disrespected me, but no one can disrespect you. It's understanding that when you're rooted in the inner world, when you're anchored in the inner world, that actually it's game over because what other people do or don't do, what other people say or don't say is more about them than it is about you, that, that somebody is threatened by an attractive Lebanese woman or whatever, or somebody is threatened by uh, a very intelligent man or whatever. It's got nothing to do with you. I'd like to come back to that very, very briefly because it used to frustrate me a lot to finish this kind of sentence without really understanding it. So basically, the act itself is disrespectful, let's say. This person speaks to you in a way, and it is disrespectful. There is no doubt about it. But the way you perceive it, because you are more anchored in your inner world, you know it has nothing to do with you. This person would have been disrespectful to any person in front of her, whether it's you or someone else that has triggered something in herself. And that's why you don't react to it, basically. And other people who are less anchored in their inner world could be playing the game of ping pong with that person. <laughs> like, uh, you know, uh, going back and forth by being triggered by each other. What you're doing, basically, is not play the game. Well, I would go even a little bit further than you have just done. I, I agree with everything you say. But, but just suppose somebody says to me, you know, I think you're a complete charlatan. Who on earth are you to be doing a podcast, yeah. uh, pretending you know what you're talking about? Yeah. You know, I would genuinely smile inwardly. So is what they said disrespectful? Uh, and I would say yes and no. They, they were intending to disrespect me, but actually I didn't find it disrespectful. I just mm-hmm. thought, well... I don't know them. I don't know their history. I don't know why they're threatened by me or I don't know why I've offended them. But actually, it's nothing to do with me. That's their story. Mm. So I wouldn't even really 
if someone said to me, did they disrespect you? I'd say, no, they, I don't know what's happening with them, but they've got some thing going where people who are in authority or people who are teaching or people, it upsets them in some way. Yeah. And I, I don't know the reason for that. And I'm not particularly motivated to find out, but I know that I'll just keep carrying on what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So do you see what I mean? In a way, even if somebody is deliberately trying to hurt me, it doesn't mean that what they do or say is hurtful because it's not. Okay. So the last message of this episode for, for the, these people listening is basically when something does upset you and trigger you, then there is something to look at in your inner world. That's the most perfect statement because the, what we miss by an over-reliance on the outer world and an, an under-reliance on the inner world, what you've just said is exactly right. When I'm triggered, and I, I do get triggered, mainly by things my wife says, but when I'm triggered, mm. it, th th that's where the gift is. It's like, um, oh, I need to look at that. Instead of saying, why did she disrespect me? How dare she say that to me? That the intelligent response, and it takes practice like everything else in life, the intelligent response is, ouch, that, that really hurt me disproportionately. What do I need to adjust in the inner world to stop that happening. And, and, you know, I think all of us over time, that there are many things that used to trigger me that now don't trigger me. Yeah. So the, the proof so, of the pudding is in the eating. And I don't want to be walking around. Um, it's, it's a little bit like those conditions where if you touch someone's skin or, you know, they're, they're very, very sensitive yeah. and it's painful. It's the same thing. Many people are psychologically or emotionally sensitive in the world and they seem to get triggered or affected by many, many things. The only solution to that is to change the inner world. Yes. And so what a beautiful gift to be living with someone that uh, triggers <laughs> you and highlights all your, uh, your uh, what do we call it, the things that you have to change The wounds, the they're, wounds they're, in your they're inner just world. wounds yeah. from childhood. Absolutely. What they're a like... brilliant gift. Exactly. Actually, I'm going to be very honest with you here, and uh, I'm just being a bit, maybe it's personal. It's very personal what I'm saying. Um, I lived for years with uh, someone I really loved, and I just, I just, I was triggered daily and daily, and I know I triggered him a lot. And I realized, um, you know, over years that it's, such a such a gift to be you know because if it wasn't for that person i probably would have not done so much work on myself and then maybe that would be a different completely different podcast to do if you don't <laughs> mind it's just what would be the the best thing here to stay with a person like that that just triggers you and or to because if you run away from it then you kind of break the, the, the cycle of your learning. That is incredibly clever because that is the link to the second episode. So the second yeah. episode yeah. we're going to talk about is the dynamic of relationship. Yeah. And, and that question goes to the heart of that. And, and I just want to say one other thing on this subject yeah. is, is many, many teachers over the millennia have said, 
in, in different ways. They've said all change starts on the inside and works its way out. Mm. So a, another way, tr- you cannot change something on the outside and work in. Yeah. So, what you know, what we know is change starts on the inside and mm. works its way out. Why? Because the outside is a reflection of the inside. Yes. When you change something on the inside, yeah. the outside will change. Mm. Beautiful. I really look forward to the second episode because that would be very interesting for me to hear and I think for every person listening. Thank you again, Andrew. That was very helpful. I think lesson number one that I'd love to leave for my children is just perfectly answered. So thank you so much. And uh, I'll see you very soon for the episode two. And I think you would want to uh, call episode two the dynamic of relationship. Correct. Great. See you soon, Andrew. And thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you fascinating episode thank you very much for listening to us i hope you really enjoyed and benefited from andrew's explanation about the difference in the inner and the outer world why is it very important to take into consideration both and how is our world growing into this new phase of acknowledging more and more what we cannot touch, see, but what we can feel. I look forward to recording episode two, the dynamic of relationships. Why do we attract certain people in our lives? How can we be in control of that? And can we be in control of that? I look forward to my next conversation with Andrew Wallace. Thank you for listening.